The following is brought to you in part by MFC Studios. The views of the show's host and guests do not necessarily reflect those of the management, owners, or staff of this radio station. And now, it came from the radio. Once again, to it came from the radio, the official of the Big Apple Con. This is your host, Mark Torres, speaking. I am here live on tape at the Highland Comic Fest in front of a live studio audience. I am here with our special guest, Scott. Special guest, Scott LaBelle. There must be a hundred people in this crowd. I've never seen so many people show up at a at a uh, podcast before. It's like. It's amazing. The standing room. Look, standing room only. Standing room only, yes. Yep. Um, so we'll be talking with Scott in just a few minutes, which is awesome because he's here. But first, we're going to take it away with the news. The news is brought to you in part by the fine folks of the Big Apple Con, of which we are the official radio show of, celebrating over 22 years of pop cultureness and comic book stuff. For more information, go to www.bigapplecc.com. Their next convention will be in December of the 16th. Um, the headliner has not yet been announced. Do you know um, who it is? I don't know who the headliner is yet. Um, also, I want to do a might be. Also, want to do a shout out for our Patreons, of which they are Danny Grillo, Jared Burrell, award-winning director Jared Burrell, Two Sentence Horror, Millie Portes, Kyle Horn, Dresden Media, Unjikun, and Bree Nicholas. If you guys want a shout out on our radio show, go to www.patreon.com, look up it came from radio in the search bar, and just for a dollar a month, you can get a little shout out on our radio show. So let's see, let's take it away with the news. From the You Don't Miss It Till It's Gone department, after 67 years, Mad Magazine will shift from producing new content and being sold on a newsstand to direct market only, reprinting old content with new covers. The executives say, while there is no new material after issue 10, Mad Magazine is not gone. Knowing history repeats itself, I have no doubt that the vintage pieces will be highly, if not tragically, relevant. For those of you who do not know, Mad Magazine was a monthly comic book published by EC Comics, known largely for its popular horror and crime titles, but Mad was more of a humor, parody, satire book. It converted to a bi-monthly magazine in 1955 with issue 24. That was before I was born. Really? Yeah. It went on to publish 550 regular issues between 1952 and 2018. Uh, Mad's numbering reverted back to issue number one back in June of 2018 when it relocated operations from New York City to Los Angeles. In the 90s, Mad TV was broadcast for 14 seasons on Fox, with it being brought back for a 15th season on 2016 on the CW. Um, what bothers me, I don't know about okay. you, Scott, I'm very is angry that about it. Pe- yes, people on, have hit on social media on how upset that essentially Mag Magazine is being erased. It's not going to be around anymore. My concern is, where are all these people while Mag Magazine was still being printed? If all this love, if all this care, if all this uh, support for it was there, it wouldn't be stopped in the well, first place. Well, just by show of hands, how many people have ever read Show of Mad applause. Magazine? It's live, so it was. Applause. Let's say applause. Okay, applause. There you go. Okay. And by applause, how many people have never heard of Mad Magazine? Applause, applause. Applause. Okay, yeah. So, I mean, it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, people spend most of their time on 
Instagram, like you say, social media. Yeah. So a lot of people don't go to the newsstands or and buy magazines anymore, even. So. But it's but it's funny how everybody's saying how great it was. Oh yeah, yeah. So where was that support three That's three how, months every time ago? There's a show, know. yeah. People when they when a show gets canceled, like it's my favorite show, and it's like, well, people. Where were you it. when when it was time? Yeah, it's all your fault that magazine. Yeah, everybody's fault, right here. So you know. So moving on to the next bit of news. Yes. From the the only color that matters is green department. Uh, this week, Disney announced that they were going ahead with a live action remake of The Little Mermaid with singer actress Halle Bailey in the lead role. Uh, Disney says after an extensive search, it was abundantly clear that Halle possessed the rare combination of spirit, heart, youth, innocence, and substance, plus a glorious singing voice. All intrinsic qualities necessary to play the iconic role. Of it's course, interesting that voice sounds exactly like, like the, the other management. The other guy? Yeah, oh, that's, yeah, that's the, the, the generic executive voice. Yeah, everybody who talks like that. Okay. Um, of course, because Halle is a female of color, the internet, which we just mentioned, went crazy due to the fact that the original Ariel was white. Um, to this I say, first of all, gender slash race swap is nothing new. And the job of an actor is to make you believe that they are the character, and if he or she does a good job, then it really shouldn't matter who's portraying that character. Um, secondly, if you don't like the idea, then don't watch it. You're only bringing more attention to it if you make a big stink about it. That's very true for anything. If you yeah, don't like it, you know what's just funny don't is bother with it. I saw people complaining about people who would complain about it. But not people but who... I didn't see anybody actually complaining. It's like, you know, I saw a couple. Yeah, it's it's so. little, very little. It's actually... It's funny yeah. that more people are complaining about the complaint. You are correct. Yeah, a lot of people will go, oh, people are going to be upset about this. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds like fun. Um, so. Do we have any, um, any... Let's see. Do we have any Little Mermaid fans in the audience? By applause. I will say that. I love Little Mermaid. Are you going to watch the new Little Mermaid live-action movie? Yay! You totally have the applause thing down. Yeah. She's really good. Yeah. Do we have anybody who is familiar with the old TV show called Married with Children? Yeah. Alright. So this little bit of information is relevant for you guys. Married with Children was a show way back when. And it was going on the air. But it was struggling as Fox was a brand new show at the time. And this lady was offended by the show so much that she called the, the sponsors of the show to tell him to boycott the programming. News of the boycott got out and everybody was like, why are they being boycotted? So then they started to watch the show. And that's how it became popular. So if this lady was, would have kept her offense to herself and just not watched the show, mm -hmm. they would never be married with children. It yeah, lasted so for like 12 you, years. If all of you people walk out right now, his podcast will be so more, so much more popular. <laughs> yes, yes, so, exactly. Then everybody will be like, "Wait, I have to listen." Why did everyone leave? Exactly, exactly. Um, you a Married Children fan? Oh yeah, who wasn't? Who doesn't love Married Children? The young guys, the young guys, yeah. in the audience. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, As they go, they'll discover it and they'll be like, "Wow, Kelly Bundy." <laughs> yes. Um, let's see. We have two more bits of news before we take our commercial break. So let's see. We have uh, from the Betty and Veronica Who department. Uh, in the five-part comic series that crosses over, Archie with the Chilling Adventures of Sabrina has the two lead characters dating. That's right. In Archie issue number 706, Sabrina Spellman and, Arch and Archie are officially an item. No word Finally. on how 
or when this has happened. Finally, I love those two together. Really? Not, not Betty or Veronica? No, that was no. The Sabrina. Classic. Really? Yeah, with the white hair. She looks awesome. We have any Sabrina fans in the audience? Woo! One. <laughs> All right. You let me down. No, you don't like Sabrina? Who do you like? Betty or Veronica. So, see, one? Betty or Veronica. See, She's that's what I'm school. talking about. Yeah. Um, so let's see. From the last bit of news. Last bit of news. From the Can't You See the Ship is Sinking department. MoviePass, the service where originally for just $10 a month, you can see an unlimited amount of movies in theaters, is suffering yet another setback with the company shutting down several weeks in order to complete work on an updated version of its app. The MoviePass CEO says, <clears throat> there's never been a good time to do this, but to complete the improved version guy. of the app, wow. one that we believe will provide a much better experience to our subscribers, it has to be done. Uh, for those of you who do not know, um, the shutdown comes just after a few months that the company, MoviePass, reported a loss of $40 million and then borrowing another $5 million to keep the company afloat just after the company restructured its entire pricing plan to limit what, where, and how subscribers can go see the movie for an hour 15 mala fee. Uh, the service was shut down on July 4th at 5 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, and MoviePass has, announced, has not announced when it will come back online. And during this period, MoviePass will not accept new signups, and existing customers will not be charged while the service is offline. However, uh, subscribers will also be automatically credit, credited for the downtime once the service comes back online. Is this the first you're hearing about this, or did you know no, that? No, I, I knew about it. Uh, you knew about MoviePass going down? Were you I sad? Well, I had, actually, ironically enough, uh, that night that I got notification, I had one more movie left in my... Uh, oh. So I ran out and I saw the new Spider-Man movie that night. Was okay. it good? Did you enjoy it? It was good. I, I actually like the Spider-Man movie better than the last Avengers movie. Ooh. Interesting. Wow. That's interesting. That is interesting. That's bold. No wonder they canceled Movie Pass. <laughs> <laughs> so how long were you a Movie Pass subscriber? A long uh, time? Literally, literally from day one. From day one? Day one. Uh, and you're, you're staying with them until I'm the very staying end? staying with them. I don't think personally the business model is sustainable. I figured as, as long as I could ride it for and see my fix of movies, I'm good with it. So I, I've already gotten my money's worth. You know, Did you always get your fix every month? Did you? I, Were you I pretty much? make sure that I go see my, uh, my monthly allocation. So, but before... And you have three kids. Yeah. yeah. Did you bring them today? Well, actually, I have four kids. One of them, uh, one of them is not here today. But, Did uh, you guys get to see Spider-Man too? No. Not yet. <laughs> Dad. <laughs> so, when, um, so, when you had MoviePass, it was $10 a month. How many movies did you go see when it was just $10 unlimited? Um, I... Let me put it you this way: They did not make money on me. Yeah, yeah that's I, was, I was one of the people that, uh, that they definitely took a loss on. So I made I made sure that uh, I got my money's worth in that song. Yeah, I like to go to the movies, even if I don't necessarily want to see the movie. I just like the experience of going to the movies and eating the popcorn. Well, as a movie writer. Yeah, but being a writer, it can be very unpleasant because you're watching, going, ah. Oh, why did they do that? They should have done this, you know. So that makes it even less clear. I think the one problem initially that the company had is is opening up to unlimited movies once a day. I mean, there were rumors that people used to use their movie pass to go into a movie theater just to use the bathroom and then leave. So um, they, they definitely right. clamped down, and then and, and they started their three per month. 
which a little bit more realistic, but once again, I think their business model, I don't think it's sustainable. Yeah. This is my chance to announce that I'm doing a bathroom pass. It's a new That's the new thing? New, new bathroom passes? That I'm doing, yeah. How much are you going to charge? Uh, $10 a month for unlimited <laughs> bathrooms. Anywhere you have to That's a good deal. pee or poop, you can go... <laughs> Anywhere. Oh, either way. Either way. It's not know. extra if you have to poop. No, no, no. It's the same for peeing and pooping. All right, fair enough. So, so, <laughs> so that's it for the news. We're going to take a break. That was double news because you got my news. Yes, we got you. special Scott Labdell uh, news. Uh -huh. Breaking news. Breaking news. So we'll be right back with the came from the radio. The Grimlock having fun on It Came From The Radio. Me, Greg Berger, also. Hi, you've heard my voice open and close the show. Now we want to hear your voice. If you have a business or product, you can record a commercial here. We offer 30 and 60 second spots. For more information, contact Mark at MFC underscore studios at hotmail.com. Hey guys, want to impress everyone at your next party? Shock them all with a custom cake. Anything goes. Classic wedding cakes to wild party themes. Follow my social media for weekly videos and photos. We're a Long Island-based cake shop. Custom Cakes by Christie Incorporated. K-R-I-S-T-Y. Call or text anytime. 631-606-8166. Michael McManus. I played Kai on Lex. You're listening to It Came From The Radio. Hello everyone, this is Envoy Comic Distributors, the independent distributor for independent minds. We represent some of the finest small press and self-publishers out there today. To learn more about us and our publishers, search for Envoy Comic Distributors on Facebook. And shop for us online at envoy.storeenvy.com. That's E-N-V-O-Y dot S-T-O-R-E-N-V-Y dot com. Have a great this day. This is the amazing question. And you're listening to It Came From The Radio. Aloha! Do you like comics? Do you like toys? Do you like cosplay? Do you like collectibles? Well, surf on down to the Long Island Tropicon, Sunday, August 18th at the Melville Marriott. We're going to have over 85 vendors, artists, and panels galore. Bring your kids. Children under 10 are free. Tickets at the door are $15 or buy them early at litropicon.eventbrite.com for our cheap $10 pre-admission. Hey, this is Demon Boy. Chris Cyanide. And you're listening to those weird guys on... It, it came, came from, from the, the radio. radio! Yeah, they scare me. <laughs> <laughs> now, back to our show. And welcome back to It Came From The Radio Official. We are here live on tape at the Highland Comic Fest in front of a live studio audience. And we're here all about our special guest, Mr. How Scott. How many people like Sabrina better? <laughs> so, Scott. Yes. You have been doing much work in the comic industry. Too much. How did you get started in the comic book business? I lived in a town called Marlborough, which is only about eight miles from here, and I decided I wanted to uh, write comic books. I had gone to school for psychology, and I decided I was not going to be very good at it because I didn't like to listen to people's problems, and I'm like, bad attitude for a psychologist to have. So then I decided I wanted to write, and it took me about six years of being rejected. And like nowadays, there's all email and texting and stuff, but in the old days, they would send you a letter that said, 
we're not interested in you as a writer or whatever. And I had a wall, mm, probably about the size of this wall here, and it was just covered in every single rejection letter I got over six years. And uh, one time I got a rejection letter, and in the bottom of it, one of the editors had written, uh, this story isn't as bad as the last one. And I was like, yay! (laughs) Yay, he wrote to me. I was so excited. And... uh, so it took me about six years to break in. I always said I was going to break in. I'm sorry. I always said either I was going to give up or Marvel was going to give up. And Marvel mm-hmm. finally gave up and let me in. And that was 31 years ago. Did you use that wall as motivation? Like every time you Oh, yeah, it? I loved it. You know, I always felt that like every, like starting out or even now, like when I'm in Hollywood, you get a, somebody will, will buy a movie, you know, a pitch. And then you write it, and then somebody will decide to make it, and then somebody will decide to distribute it. But along the way, any one of those things could could not happen. You know, you can. There's so many movies that have been made and never distributed, just on a shelf somewhere. Except now they probably all go to Netflix. But before that, they would just sit there. And so, to me, every single time you accomplish anything, even if it's a rejection, it's just one more step closer to where you want to go. So. Wow. Um. So speaking of movies, because you are also a writer of a very awesome movie, which I love, Happy Death Day. I love Thank that you. movie. Thank you. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. When, you, when you made that film, when you wrote it, were you working with the director, or was it you no, wrote it? No, it's just and me. Just and, uh, I lived in Malibu at the time, and I met with a producer, and she said, what are you working on? I said, I have this idea for a movie, and I told her the idea. And she said, that's crazy. You should go write it. So I was in between comic book work, and I went to my apartment, and I turned off the internet, and I turned off my cell phone, and I wrote it in four weeks, and then on the fifth week it sold. So it was pretty crazy. And then it took ten years to get made. So. Oh, my God. Really? Wow. Yeah. So for when you actually got to, were you on the, the set when they were filming? I was on the set for a little bit, but first thing they do... When you're first thing they do on, on a movie when they make a movie, is they fire the writer. It's the very first thing they do. I think it's because they think the writer is going to be like, "Well, I would do this and I would do," this. you know. And they sometimes get in uh, disagreements with the director. Yes. So I think it's just generally as a rule they try to move the writer off pretty quick. In TV, it's different. In TV, the writer is in charge of everything, but in movies, the TV, the writer is maybe the least important. Part. So when you see after it's written. So when you see the thing being made, do you have like in, in your mind, if you know not to say something, even in your mind, like, well, this should have been this way, this should have been filmed that way. This is not how I envisioned it. Or do you just let it go? Oh, you have to just let it go. I always say it's like if you raise the kid, you know, you teach the kid not to drink and not to smoke and not to swear, and then they go off to college and they learn to drink and smoke and swear, but it's still your kid. You know, so that's how I feel about the movies that I've been involved with. It's like, okay, it's different, but at the end of the day, it's still my kid, and I still love them. So, so with like the, your dad loves you. Oh. <laughs> with with the same logic, when you're working on comics, you take characters that were already established by somebody else. You do your stories. You do what you want to do, and then somebody else comes along and either builds upon what you do, mm-hmm. or just or decide, change yeah, changes yeah. everything. So is that something that, having it done to you, that you put in your mind, well, I will be not as 
different, or you just I'm just going to make whatever I do when I take over people, other people's well, property. Well, I took over the X Men after 17 years, and Chris didn't talk to me. Chris Claremont didn't talk to me for about 20 years, <laughs> and then one day we're on a panel, and we got talking, and he's like, "Oh, what you did with this character was wrong because he goes, well, you know what." I never put that in writing, so how could you have known? And I think that's what happens. Like, you know, I was writing Generation X for, I think, 25 issues. And then somebody else came on, and they went in a totally different direction. But he didn't call me up. I didn't call him up. So there's, you just kind of got to go with what is in front of you. And, you know, sometimes it's, uh, sometimes they do things better than, than you would expect them to, but... You would, you would admit that somebody sometimes does something better than what you do? I would be like, no, mine is always the best. Um, well, maybe I was being polite. <laughs> but no, I think that it's, you know, like, uh, sometimes watching a movie or reading a comic book is kind of like when, if you're a magician and you see other magicians, like if you don't know magic, you go, oh my God, how do you do that? And if you do know magic, you're like, oh, please, you did the thing. So I think sometimes it's hard when you're reading because you don't get a surprise as you would if you were just reading it from scratch because you go, oh, I see what he did there. And, you know, so. Do you find yourself more critical of when you're reading other people's work now that you know how the magic trick is done? And more critical? More yeah. critical. Um, I don't, uh, you know, maybe critical isn't the necessarily the right word because it involves criticizing, you know, and like I don't necessarily, you know, like just because it's not the way I would have done it, I wouldn't necessarily, like there's things that happened in Generation X that totally changed my intent when I created it, but, you know, somebody else came by and, and that became the character after I left, so it's kind of hard to, especially because I've been somebody who, you know, goes on, uh, like when I went on Red Hood and the Outlaws. The guy before me had been writing it for about 10 years. So, you know, I'm sure that I had him pulling his hair out. So so sometimes you're the guy who's doing it, and sometimes you're the guy who it's being done to, and you just have to, you know, it's just the process. So, when you Like even Happy Death Day 2, the director had a very specific idea about what he wanted to do, so he didn't need me around to correct him. So... <laughs> When you sit and you, for those, you said it took um, four weeks, right? Yeah. To make the Happy Death Day. Was the original intent what you saw on screen? That a horror slash time travel, basically Groundhog meets yeah, so a slash film. That's a unique idea. Yeah, yeah. No, it was, uh, that was, to that degree, it was 100% what was written. Like, I'll give you, who, who saw Happy Death Day? Anyway. Applause, applause. Okay. Hey, um, you haven't seen Happy Death Day yet? Who hasn't seen Happy Death Day? That's not a good sign. Okay, what, what do you mean? Well, there's more people. We had a louder audience that didn't see it. Oh, well, that's just because he went woohoo. Everybody oh, else is that? Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, if you had said everybody shout woohoo, it would have been a whole oh, different. Okay. Um, no, the thing is, is that there's a uh, there's a character in that movie Carter, who is this kind of geeky guy that is her boyfriend. Right. But in the original script, Carter was two different people. There's a character named Brett, who was the love interest, and then there was Carter, who was the geeky uh, comic book nerd who helped her figure out how, why she was going back and forth. And when the director 
got the script, he decided it would be better if it was just one character. So even though in the original script, Brett is the one that stops the killer from killing her at one point and he's killed without spoiling anything. Uh, but when the movie was done, it was Carter because now Carter was had all Brett's material and Carter's material in one. So so there are changes like that that happened, but other than that it was, you know. Again, it's you know like it's weird because once you uh, once you cast somebody the actress or the actor has their ideas about what they want to do and, you know, can I try it like this? And So there's going to be changes no matter what. Like, I don't think anybody gets to write a script and have it be exact, unless maybe they're directing it or, you know, probably Tarantino has a lot of... A lot of, lot of say? Yeah, a lot of say in everything. But for the most part, it's, you know, there's just going to be changes. And the best part is to look... Like, I always thought Tree was a brunette with curly hair because I named her after my friend... Teresa Gelman, who we used to call Tree, and then they hired a blonde, and it was like, oh, that's interesting. So, but for ten years, I've been thinking, oh, I know who Tree is, and then she was a whole different person. So, so when they've always say that whenever I talk to any any writer, are you that, do that voice again? <laughs> not not the executive voice. Okay. No. Um, whenever I, I I've spoken to many other writers, they always say there's so much that is not on the page. There's so much backstory and history that's being put into this. So when you were working on that, you also did all the backstories of all these characters and all the stuff that never would see the light of day, but it's all in your head, right? Um, I may, but I, you know, like, I don't, um, I mean, if you ask me if Tree was a, a brat before her mother died and after her mother died, like how, she, how much she changed, I'd have to maybe think about it. But I don't think it was important to the story as it was being written. Like I don't know if uh, I don't know if Carter was popular with any other girl until he dated Tree, if he was considered a catch or not. So, so I mean, there, there probably is a lot of uh, a lot of times when the actors get a hold of it, they start to go, "Well, what about?" That? And they they create their backstories. But but I don't, you know, like if we were writing a story about you and I now and this group of people here. I wouldn't necessarily need to know what I ate for dinner. Yeah, what you ate for dinner, or gotcha. if you live by yourself, or if you, you know, are divorced, or you know, whatever. So, so I don't necessarily think that the backstory is that important. So, time, at least that's me. Time-wise speaking, is it a different? Not uh, time-wise excluded, I should say. Is it a different horse when you're writing comics as writing a story as writing something that you know is going to be for TV that you know is going to be for movie? Is it a different process or is it just the same? Uh, I think it's all different. So, you know, um, you know, like in a comic book, you're just concentrating on writing that 22-page story and getting it in shape so that it ends in a way that maybe people want to pick up the next issue and the next issue and the next issue. Or if you decide, okay, I'm going to end this arc here and make it definitive and then start a new arc with the next issue. Um, with a movie, you're thinking in three acts. You're thinking the first 20 minutes, the next 60 minutes, and then the last 20 minutes in the movie. So um, so that's a very specific story that you can tell in that time. And then uh, in a TV show, you get to tell, you know, 10 episodes of something and, you know, and if you're lucky enough, like, people look at Breaking Bad and some people go like, oh, how well, they had everything planned out, everything planned out. But the truth is, when you get a show, you don't know if you're going to be on year two 
You don't know if you're going to be on year three, and you know, hopefully you get picked up for year four. So you kind of have a basic idea where you're going. But like Gus Spring, they had no idea that Gus Spring was going to be interesting until they hired the actor that played him, and then he was so magnetic that they're like, you know, they realize they can get a whole other season with him involved. So, so you have to kind of uh, improvise as you go. But, but yeah, they're different, uh, different mediums, so they're different, you know. So, so as story structured as you mentioned, with getting the twenty-two pages with uh, doing comics, um, it's changed over the years from from back then. But now it's more like that. The mandate is to write a six-issue story so we can be put in the trade. And so now you always have to be thinking in six story arcs. Mm-hmm. Do you find it easier or more difficult to be forced to think in that way? Well, you know what? They were doing that for a while, and I rejected doing it that way. And then they said, okay, we don't have to do it that way. So then I started. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, but no, it's not, a, I mean, it's not hard because you have to, uh, you know, in fact, this next arc I'm doing, Generation Outlaw, is only going to be uh, five issues. So, but. For fill-in issues, uh, did you ever do fill-in issues? Oh yeah, yeah, that's how I started. So that was for those people who don't know, fill-in issues are something that when the regular writer on a comic would be working and be late, they still had to make sure you put out a new issue every month. Mm-hmm. But then it's gotten to a point where now the story is so important that fill-in issues are no longer a thing, mm-hmm. and people just wait months and months and maybe even years for a whole story yeah, arc to be completed. Same to me, but yeah, that's that's all I was thinking. Like, how did that affect your writing style? back then, so you know you were doing a fill-in, and now that you know that there is no fill-in, it's all on you. You better get that well, deadline I done. Actually, I, see, I actually, uh, I did a fill-in this year, which was a two-part fill-in with Artemis and Bizarro, and then when they didn't need it, we used it for the annual. So, and if you read the annual when it comes out, you'll see it's like, uh, it's almost like 22 pages and then a break and then another 22 page story in there but very sneaky so I um, but I think I, I, I'm always insisting they should have more inventory stories because I think it's a disaster making people wait for uh, years for a story that seems silly so that's that's a, a important thing that we've talked about on the show that deadlines is something that a lot of people don't think about when they're creating and sometimes it's against the creative process but deadline is a very important thing oh, yeah. in, the, in the comics industry and in the entertainment industry. Yeah. That if you don't, well, almost any job. Like I don't know what. Like I don't know how many people have a job where they can be like, <laughs> ah, you know. Like my brother was a mailman. He had to get the mail and sort it and deliver it to people's houses. He wasn't able to go. Ah, I'll deliver it. I'll do it maybe Thursday, Friday. You know. Like nobody. How many people have a job where you can just go? Ah, when I'm done. You know. But for so then, why do you think it is that the entertainment industry, for some reason, has that stigma that deadlines well, aren't? Well, certainly in comic books, there's people. Uh, well, I mean, you. I watch Modern Family. Who watches Modern Family? Clap, clap, people of Modern Family. Okay, like, could you imagine if uh, what was it Wednesdays at eight or something? Yeah. Could you imagine if Wednesdays at eight? Ty Burrell comes on screen and goes, "Oh, we don't." We don't have a show this week, so, you know, we're just going to run commercials for the next half hour. Like, that would never happen. Right. But for some reason, comic books, because they don't cost that much to make, I think the publishers are like, well, you know, it's not that big of a deal. Well, it was a mo- I mean, a TV show is like 
that show probably cost at least three million an episode. So there's more pressure to get it done. But like, when was the last time you saw a movie? Like, well, it was Spider Man opened this week, right? Yeah. Could you imagine if you got to the theater and they're like, "Oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry for bro, there's no uh, well, Spider Man this week." But our angry uh, audience members. Right, but for some reason, comic books they. I don't know. I think it's immature. As it's funny you mentioned that. Um, I, I used to work at a movie theater mm-hmm. back in the day, and there was a special screening of a movie called um, Jamaican Mafia. I think it was called, and we it was a special screening. How many people love Jamaican Mafia? <laughs> <laughs> it was a, it was a, it was a special screening. It was like a, a exclusive show. It was a premiere. They brought all the entire cast and everybody to have this premiere at our movie theater, but the movie wasn't finished in time. So we had a whole premiere, red carpet event, all the celebrities were there, sold out, packed theater. This was in the old days where we had six, seven hundred seat theater. So it was full and no movie because the, the, the director, he didn't listen to us when we said that it had to be in a certain format for our projectors. And there was no movie. So, so, that, so that's exactly yeah, a that's not happy crowd. Yeah, and that's probably the only time that happened. <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. I imagine. So, um, Jamaican, what is it called? I think it was called Jamaican Mafia. I think it was, uh, it was called. It was by Irie Jam. Was a, a thing. Yeah. He's looking it up for Jamaican Mafia to see if, it, uh, if it's actually there. So, do we have questions in the audience by chance? By, uh, for Scott, any questions from the audience? That way we want to make sure. Yeah. Oh, right. Nobody. Wait, we got a question. Got a question. Yay. What's your name, sir? Joe. Joe, what's your question? Speak up loud so we can get you on the recording. I just want to know what you think of Happy Death Day 2. What did you think of Happy Death Day 2? Um, there were parts that I liked about it. I liked seeing the uh, cast again. I think Jessica is always excellent. I think that if there had been a uh, Groundhog's Day 2, and it was all about how you know, Bill Murray worked at a, a IBM plant, and he accidentally went back in time. I would be like, "What?" So, so I don't think it was necessary to tell that story. I know it's like a, and it was a question in people's heads, but you know, I think that's part of the magic. I mean, like you look at uh, Freddy, not Freddy Krueger, uh, Michael Myers, who gets killed and gets killed two or three times in every movie. And then the last time he gets killed, we're like, oh, he's really dead this time. And then he comes back. There's no reason for it. You know, there's no, you know, like, imagine if, you know, Halloween 2 was like, we did an autopsy on Michael Myers and we found out that his cells are, you'd be like, oh, okay, well, it's not very interesting. So, so did you? So, so that's a, that was, the. I mean, if I had a problem with it, that was the, so, I think they could have focused more on character instead of story. So, so on that same level. What did you think, by the way? I thought it was... For a sequel, get I out! Nice. <laughs> I, I just, uh-huh. I really thought it was a, a fun movie. It definitely wasn't necessary. Yeah. I mean, but for, for uh, a franchise that I liked, for a yeah. sequel, I, yeah, it was fun to see everybody. I thought it was know? a yeah. pretty good sequel. Yeah, I like your shirt. It says Stanley's shirt. Yay! So on the same logic, so then you did not have a reason of why she was going back. No, no, there's no reason. Just you know, like I say, in in. Uh, Groundhog's Day, which is the closest uh, corollary, there was never a reason. You know, no one. Uh, in fact, during the writing of it, they kept saying, "Well, you got to explain why she goes back in time." And I was like, "I don't really have to." So, um, but if you do see Happy Death Day again, uh, when she walks into the classroom the first time, 
the professor is talking about quantum hysterics, which is that if you become traumatized enough, you will reset yourself to a time when you weren't traumatized. So essentially it was her death that kept resetting her back to the moment that she woke up. So that was a, a secret line that was in the movie that if people watched it, they would know, but most people don't know because they were just... But next time you watch the movie, look for that line because the professor's explaining how the time loop works, even though we don't know it. Oh. And you know what's funny is there was a... Um, there is a he was a physics professor, and then later on they decided to use the same character to be the doctor who comes in and shows her her x-rays, but that was a different character. So when you start to look at this doctor, he's a physics teacher, and he's a cardiologist, <laughs> and he's a, a medical doctor. It's like, wow, this guy's really... He gets around. Right? So, so as, as specifically for Happy Death Day, um, for them to acknowledge Groundhog Day at the end of the movie and have the, the main character not know what Groundhog Day was, was that also in the original script? It was, but it was farther. It was uh, earlier in the script. And there's a, a, he talks about Groundhog Day and he also talks about uh, X-Men 135 when Kitty Pride comes back in time. I believe it's 135. Um, yeah, he talks about that as another example of people that can move back and forth through time. Uh, but it was just when he became a different character they wound up just using that line at the end instead so I gotta talk oh you have a question I got a question yes yeah, what's your question? name uh, Lambros Lambros what's your question I speak loud for Breeze. The, I'm sorry the, uh, the baby mascot was that originally part of the no it was supposed to be a, it was supposed to be a panther mask okay. which is a good thing they changed it because Black Panther came out years <laughs> later <laughs> but um Apparently, when they were shooting, they had a bunch of masks that they made, and the uh, director liked the baby mask, but he wasn't sure, and so he got in the outfit and he walked in, and one of the women on the, the like one of the makeup women, screamed and ran out of the room, and they're like, "That's the one." <laughs> so, okay, but. All right, so I have to do one thing. I wrote a little note to myself to make sure I asked you about Heroes Are Born and Onslaught. Um, that was the whole image taking over. So how did you get involved in that for Marvel Comics? Well, I actually got in big trouble because when the owners of the company decided to, that the sales were so low on the regular books that they were going to hand, hand them off to the image guys, I thought it was a brilliant idea because it needed, they needed energy. But everybody that worked at the company was like, it was an affront to them because it was telling them that they weren't doing a good job. And I insisted that I had to be a part of this because I thought it was so cool. And then I realized, uh, I didn't realize at the time, but uh, people were very mad at me because of it. So, And in Heroes Reborn, uh, if you look at the issues, you'll, or Heroes Reborn, yeah, you'll see that... Uh, in the Iron Man issues, every time we see Iron Man, it's on a first page splash, and he's saying something like, okay, let's try this again, you know, and it was just me being cheeky to the company, and so, uh, but unfortunately I wrote that in a plot, and then it got out, and they're like, oh, so everybody's mad, but. 
Well, speaking of people getting mad, and back then there was no social media. Now it's a Thank huge. Thank God for social media. <laughs> does that does social media affect your work in any way, shape, or form? Mm, I would say zero. So really, even yeah. I mean, I mean, because I do things that like when I was doing the X Men, everybody wanted Rogue and Gambit together. But if you make Rogue and Gambit together, then you don't really have a you don't have that drama anymore. So if it were social media, and I was reading social media every day. And people were putting up, you know, Instagram pages of Rogan Cambed, and then I'd be like, "Oh, okay, I must do this because that's what people want." And I think when you give people what they want, then they're, you know, it's like a restaurant. You bring them their food, and they eat it, and then they go. You know, like I think once they get what they want, they're like, oh, "Okay, well, that was good, thanks." Um, so, like when I did Red Hood and the Outlaws, I got a lot of trouble for uh, Starfire. Yes. But I didn't change what I was going to do. You know, I let the audience. Stay, you know, the audience that stayed with it found out what I was trying to do, and the audience that didn't, you know, wasn't there. So, but you can't really write you can't write your stories for people that aren't reading them. So, so by applause, does everybody know what what he's referring to for the Starfire? That's where one, one guy, two guys. All right, you want to briefly explain? Just generalize this that way the audience knows, because that was that was a huge thing, at least. At least what I saw, I was like, "Geez, that was a lot of a lot of backlash over not anything." Yeah, um, it was just a new portrayal of Starfire in the new universe, and uh, she was kind of sweet and innocent when she was originally depicted. And I wasn't trying to make her sweet, unsweet and innocent. I was just trying to make her an alien who has a different point of view about relationships than a regular human would have. Because so often Star Starfire was written like she was this girl from the valley in California, like everything was peace and love and birds and squirrels, and I just didn't think that was realistic. So when I was asked to take over, I wanted to try to make her realistic and let her emotional uh, growth reflect her character design. Did that surprise you when you got that backlash on it? Mm. I mean, did you when you write this? Oh, well, I kind of like made, this. It kind of made me laugh because uh, I think it came out like September seventeenth, and on September sixteenth, if you had asked people to list their top one hundred DC characters, you know, let's say top twenty five characters, probably Starfire would not be on their list of twenty five characters. But the day it came out, she was suddenly everybody's. Favorite character from growing up to you know for the last thirty years she was my favorite. Like wow, that's great. But it's like you were saying about, about the, the Mad Magazine. How about Mad Magazine. All of a sudden, like, where, where, were they? where were they before? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, if she was that popular, she would be. Her, so, she'd have her own book. My last bit of note that I have here it says that you were you are a stand-up comic. I was a stand-up. You comic. was a stand-up yes. comic. I was a stand-up comic for five years between nineteen eighty-eight and nineteen ninety-two. And the weekend that I got the X-Men, I was working six, 60, 70 hours a week on the X-Books. So that meant I couldn't, uh, you know, being a stand-up is very, uh, it's time intensive because you're working on new material, you're working on getting the gigs, you're traveling to the gigs, you're, you know, starting at 7 o'clock at night and closing up around 2 in the morning. And, you know, so it just was, uh, I kind of had to make a choice. Between the two. So can you 
express the feedback you got immediately from a stand-up crowd as opposed to when you're writing something and you get feedback days, weeks, months, sometimes even years later. Yeah, every once in a while somebody will come work? up to me at a convention they'll be like, oh my god, I read this comic when I was 15 and I loved it. So it's like, you know, it's, uh, it's interesting because, like you say, in stand-up, if I told a joke as a stand-up comedian, and nobody laughed, and then finally somebody came up to me 15 years later and said, hey, I saw your show, and I, just, I was just thinking about your joke the other day. It was so funny. I would be, a, I would be the worst stand-up comedian in the world. Um, what's, what's your best, what, what was your best joke? My best joke was uh, I w- walked into Sears the other day. They are having a tag sale. So the assistant manager comes running up to me and says, you're it. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. it was it was two levels. Yeah. You got it, and then it went, oh. Yeah. Alright, so we have uh, about ten minutes left. So we have any more questions in the audience? Yes, sir. What's your name? Uh, my name's Nick. Nick, what's your question? So how many times would you have to um kind of restructure how you were writing your comics and just kinda of like, okay, this wasn't working, let's kind of start over and just would Throw it to the side and start over. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's important. Well, I'll, I'll give you an example. One time, uh, I put the X Men in space for six issues, and I wanted to take them and send them on the space while the other X Men team was doing something else. And by the time this team was done, they would come back and this team would be like, oh my God, you guys have changed. This is crazy. What's going on? Blah, blah, blah. But the editor in chief was like, people don't like when the X Men are in space. They said, well, maybe they just don't like the stories about them in space that they've seen so far. Maybe this will be the story that they like. So issue two came out and he's like, people, you, you got to get them out of space. People don't like them in space. I'm like, okay, whatever. So then the third issue. It's being drawn, and he's like, why are they still in space? <laughs> so I called up the editor, I'm not the editor, the artist who lived in Long Island. I said, what page are you on? And he said, uh, I'm on page six where uh, Gambit is looking in the reflection in, his water, in the water. I said, okay, on page seven, have them back on Earth. <laughs> and I'll say that it was a hologram and that they came back already. He's like, really? I said, yeah, I'm just... Tired of hearing about this story, that you know. so, so that was an example. Like you know, sometimes you just gotta change on a dime, you know. So, hey, look, my sister-in-law's here. Anna, come on in. Anna, Anna, come on in. They love you. They love you. Anna, how long have you been here? Oh, Greg, my brother Greg is here too. Two seats right there. Yeah. It's my brother there's, Greg. There's love for love for family. Well, it's good because I live. I don't know if I told you. I used to live in Marlboro, New York, which is right down the street. And uh, Greg and I grew up together because we were brothers. <laughs> <laughs> and when did you two start dating? When was that? Um, I was Sixteen. She was fourteen. So. Sixteen. Sixteen and fourteen. Wow. Well, how old are you now? Um, <laughs> okay. So you have a few more years. Don't. Do you recommend getting married at 14? Your other yes, shortest, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Good point. They but you knew. At you knew. You knew at 14, yeah. right? Yeah, you knew. Yeah. I knew he had a great brother, and I said, you know what? I may as well stick around. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh. Wow. Wow, that's the sweetest. 
That's the sweetest thing she ever said, and it's on, on tape. Yes, it's on tape. So, what advice do you have for people who are out there struggling right now? Because as... You get married? I have no advice. I'm terrible. <laughs> I, we've, we've had plenty of actors, and you uh-huh. mentioned even earlier about being rejected. Actors get rejected all the time, which is something mm-hmm. you may not be even aware of. So mm-hmm. how can you get your uh, message across to people listening to us or people in the audience about uh-huh. how, what they can do to be a success, be like you? Well, I always say that, I've always said that there are, when you're trying to do something, there are two people that you come into contact with. There are either people that help you, and that might be a, a ride to the uh, train station so you can get down to Marvel and hand them a sheet of paper and they go, thank you, and then you, you get back on the train and you get another ride back. From, I mean, so either somebody's helping you or someone's in your way, like an executive or an editor who's like, no, we don't like this. And, and like, if an editor rejects something, they have the power to say no, and they think, oh, this is no. You can't, you're not going to get around this. And it's like, okay, well, that's your no, but I'm just going to go over here and figure out how to do it this way. So, you know, it's uh, so either people are going to help you or they're in your way. And if there's somebody in your way, just so go find another way. Yeah, just go find another way. So, huh? um, so what are you working on now? Nothing. <laughs> no, um, no, I have a movie coming out uh, July 17th, which is Critters. Critters. Critters Attack, but it's also my father's birthday. Oh, we had so, a, we had an yeah. applause for Father's birthday. We had a applause. There you go. So, is it a reboot or is it a continuation? Well, it's funny because they asked me to do a reboot, and there's an actress in the first movie. Her name is Dee Wallace, and she played the mom in the first movie, and she's 72 years old now. So, I really wanted her to be in the movie and they said no we don't have any ties with any other previous movie and I said okay so as I was writing it I wrote this character who's this 72 year old woman (laughs) who kind of had a vague awareness of the fact that the critters had been on earth before so she learns about it and she starts her quest so the main story is about Drea and the babysitting and the kids but we are watching this woman get closer and closer until finally she shows up with a shotgun and starts blowing critters away. And I just wrote it, and I named the character Aunt D. You know, and the actress's name was D. Wallace. So I turned it in. They said, "Wow, we really love this character." <laughs> They're like, "This is going to sound crazy, but what do you think if we get D. Wallace <laughs> to play the part?" And I'm like, mm, I don't see it, but, you know. So that now, goes exactly what you're saying, find another way. Find another way. Always find another way. Wow, that's actually kind of awesome. Um, social media time. We have less than uh, seven minutes to go, so where can people find you if they want to get in contact with you? Uh, I have the worst social media ever. It's just, uh, it's just, I'll show you. check it. <laughs> no, I'll just show you how bad it is. It's oh, like, all right. It is. Like it's me, like this is from last week, it's me and my dog. So, I don't, you know, I generally. Is it at Scott Lobdell? That's Scotty Lobdell. But I generally don't uh, advertise. This is, uh, this is 4th of July. Huh? I really love Snoopy. <laughs> and then this is uh, me getting thrown into a pool. 
Is that on Instagram? Uh, on Instagram. Instagram. So Instagram. Is so if you're really, really bored, you should follow me on Instagram because. But what people want to want to get more advice or want to talk oh, to you, want to give you praise? Hollywood. I mean Highland Library. Huh? <laughs> you guys are all on my Instagram. So what if people want to give uh, give you praise? That's Instagram only. No other place. Uh, yeah, I don't. I mean, I'm on well, what Facebook. What if people who are listening? Because we have other filmmakers. If you want to give you a job, just Instagram is the best way to contact you. Yeah, best way or my agent. At Abrams Artist. There we go. We need Abrams, Abrams Artist. Okay. So we have less than five minutes to go. Do we have any final questions? Last chance? We got one more question. Yes, sir. What's your name? Uh, Matt. Matt, what's, what's, what's your question? What's Welcome, the, Matt. Uh, uh, what's the uh, comic run you're most proud of, would you say? Uh, I think maybe the first 25 issues of Generation X was pretty, yeah. pretty like, spot on. So, you know, but. Uh, I don't, you know, I think the opposite of that is which would I most be ashamed of, but I really can't think of anything that I didn't like to, you know. Yeah. Do you have any kids? You don't have any kids. No. Okay, but parents who have kids, you know you can't really have your favorite kid. And that's kind of how I feel about the writing, you know, so. Well, they can, they just can't say. Yeah. <laughs> the third one of the space one. The third one of the space yeah. one, that was it. Oh, I have to say that was pretty spectacular in terms of like... You know, um, yeah, Greg. You wouldn't say that. Who would you say is the favorite over me or you? So what parent? Ooh. <laughs> yeah. So. All right. So we're on our final thoughts uh, portion of the show. So do you have any final thoughts you want to mention before we uh, wrap up the show? Um. Well, we're talking about my father. My father once said to me. They were married for 60 years, my, my, my mother and father. And my father once said that uh, people think the key to a long marriage is people being involved 50-50, you know. And he said the truth is a successful marriage is when people are involved 100 and 100. Ooh. And I think whether it's marriage or whether it's, you know, writing or whatever it is that you're doing and you're doing it with another person, I think if you both show up and you both give 100%, that is the key. So. Oh, that's awesome. So my final thought is this. First off, thank you for uh, for being my guest on the show. We really we do it in that voice. It. We do it in the manager voice. Thank you for being a guest on our show. We really appreciate it. Thank you. I want to do a special shout out to everybody at the Highland Public Library. I want to thank to our live studio audience. Thank you for coming down. Yeah. I do quickly want to mention that we had a raffle going on uh, during the show, so it's got to be so well just to pull out the winner, and we'll announce the winner. What is the prize? You're giving me $100? We had a prize package at our table, so... And you get $100. Read out, the, read out the number. So it's on record. It's 544508. So 544-508. Yep. Okay, so that it's way it's on recorded, and we will... You yeah, got he it? won, he won. Look at that. Wow. He won. Awesome. Congratulations. So, uh, I, want I was to, kidding about the $100. Uh, that's fine. Okay. I want to do a special thank you to Caitlin and Lisa from the Highland Poe Library. Yeah. Um, so that about does it for this week on the Came From the Radio. Join us right here and every week on our radio station. If you miss any part of the show, go to our website, www.itcamefromtheradio.com. Listen to the archives. It'll be up in a week or so. Um, we have a Facebook page. We have an Instagram page. We have all that stuff. But you can check us out on places such as... Overcast, Pocket Cast, iHeartRadio, Google Play, iTunes, Breaker or Breaker, Google Podcasts, 
Podbean, Player FM, SoundCloud, Acast, CastBox, TuneIn, Stitcher, Podmus, Luminary, Spotify, or you can just Google It Came From The Radio. Thank you very much, everybody in the live studio audience. Right. And we'll see you next time. You've been listening to It Came From The Radio with Mark Torres. The views of the show's hosts and guests did not necessarily reflect that of the management, owners, or staff of the station. We now return you to your earthly scheduled broadcast. <laughs>